0: Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been
1: warned. Have you seen this it's Jen
0: and I am Tim's wasted life
1: <laughs> happy birthday by the way Tim
0: oh you, you know I really feel it on days like today
1: well we're giving you a special little treat just for your birthday um and we're gonna do this in a sneaky way like we're releasing this at the end of the month so you people will not actually know when Tim's birthday is
0: hell I don't even know
1: because um it's I, just the know, day that
0: I was adopted from the shelter
1: but we're giving Tim a nice little treat, and hopefully, it will be a treat for you, the listeners. Before we get into it, though, I want to give a shout out to a new patron.
0: Yeah, give them some treats.
1: Yes, James, thank you for joining us at our Patreon. Patreon.com slash have you seen this. And for a pledge of as low as $2 a month, you can be cool like James. So check us out, patreon.com slash have you seen this if you like the show. And uh, throw us a little chump change, because you get uh, two extra bonus episodes for cheap.
0: Yeah, that's a dollar an episode.
1: Why are we only charging two dollars? Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) It's just what you're worth.
0: (laughs) I get a dollar, Jen gets a dollar, everyone's happy.
1: (laughs) But having said that, uh, let's get to the dessert. It is a rich one. Um, We're stretching... I don't know if we're stretching the the premise of the show because this movie did actually flop when it came out. It was considered a disappointment because there was a lot of hope riding on it, um, but it did not do the box office numbers that people hoped for, but it became a cult hit
0: yeah, it, on it, home media. Yeah, it made no money, and instead its, it's uh, sad, pathetic legacy is an enduring cultural impact.
1: Yeah, and it really has seeped completely into the culture It has not enabled people to be any smarter about media because people still misinterpret it all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, People will really see what they want to see. But why don't you, Tim, since you are the birthday boy, why don't you tell us what we're talking about today?
0: Uh, We are talking about 1999's uh, Fight Club. Uh, It is from David Fincher at what I want to describe as the height of his power. Um, He's, you know, gone on to have, you know, what seems like free reign on the movies that he's done since. But in my opinion, none of them measure up to just the, the tour de force that is, that is fight club. I mean, it has, it it comes from a great book. It's a great story, great casting, directing dialogue, soundtrack. So much of it is just, you know, blew me away in the theater when I was, you know, in my early twenties, which is the age to see fight club. Um, But yeah, it's just a, a phenomenal movie that has had a lasting cultural impact. I think what um, the reason that we can address this on the show is because the the impact and what people take away from this movie is kind of the misbegotten part of it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, because because the movie itself, like I, it seems really easy to grasp, and yet. I don't know, Jen, maybe you can talk more about it, but people seem to get the message of the movie wrong when it just seems so, like, direct and clear and, you know, eye-opening in a way.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was 20 when this came out. I saw it five times in the theater. And I'm not saying that I had this truly deep grasp of the movie's messages. I mean, I was... Not only was I twenty and everyone stupid, like oh, yeah. before yeah, the age no of twenty-five, doubt. but I was I was especially like naive and immature, but I still got basically what they were trying to put across, which was um a critique of our culture at shallow capitalism, a kind of burlesque of masculinity and how wrong it can go. But there are Are still people who are like, oh, this, you know, this is just a movie for bros and misogynists.
0: Okay, that's what people get out of it. Okay, those people are are truly the dumbest among us. Um, One of the other things to put in context is that there was, like Jen says, there's this like, there's just something in the zeitgeist, you know, an anti-consumerism in 1999 because 1999 gave us not just Fight Club, it gave Mm -hmm. us The Matrix, it gave us Office Space. And Mm -hmm. to a lesser extent, in my opinion, American beauty. But I mean, a lot of that was we've had, you know, a decade at least of of cushy prosperity. And I think there was a point where people and mass were kind of being like, so is this all there is? Like, is this it? Like you work a cushy, you know, job and you buy stuff and then that's that's all there is to it. Two years later, you know, (laughs) never mind what might have been because the world changed and, you know, absolutely went to shit. But there was something in ninety-nine that people were really feeling about, you know, is this is this all there is? Is this what we really want?
1: Yeah, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for the nineties. It they were kind of a stupid, self-satisfied. We had decade. no idea
0: how good we had it.
1: This is kind of like a, a like a really a really key Generation X movie. This was this movie was certainly important to me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, young college gen. Um, I Like I said, I saw it five times in the theater. Like the other movie that I saw a bunch of times in 1999 was The Matrix for a grand total of eight times. Mm-hmm. I think I probably saw American Beauty like five or six times too.
0: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, speaking of movies that I saw in the theater way too many times, I saw Phantom Menace in the theater four times. And by the fourth time, I was like, oh, oh watch God, this yeah, movie. that
1: was the year of Phantom Menace. Yeah,
0: so <laughs> uh, talk about being out of step with the zeitgeist. Um, I think I maybe only saw American beauty once because after, like I said, after the matrix and after office space and after uh fight club, by the time that, you know, American beauty rolls around and I'm like, Oh, it's a, you know, middle-class guy who kind of is sick of his life. Yeah. I've heard the story. I think I know where <laughs> <Right>. this goes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, I saw it a bunch of times because like, uh, uh, you know, here's uh here's something problematic for you. I was a big fan of Kevin Spacey. Um we didn't know that. Not he of his was... acting. I
0: was a fan of his predatory sexual uh you know, nature.
1: Yeah, I thought it was cool that he hung out with the Clintons and like, you know, got people killed. Although, you know, I I have <laughs> oh, to say one
0: person, come on, Jen.
1: This is this is no, it's been, like three of his accusers have died. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I am not even fucking kidding. Well, and but, you know,
0: those are rookie numbers to Hillary Clinton.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's like comparing yourself to Diego Maradona. It's like, oh, uh, well, you oh, know, you're just I a master the of, the, yeah. of the form. Um, the thing about Spacey was that even at the time, this was '99 mm-hmm. and 2000. Like his uh, career was definitely on an ascent because yeah. of American Beauty, L.A. Confidential, all that stuff.
0: Yeah, L.A. LA Confidential, I, Usual Suspects, fucking seven. Like, that was a yeah. breakout role. Yeah. So Another and, Fincher joint.
1: You know, Tim and I went to, we both went to UCLA. Um, so, Jen went you to know, UCLA
0: film school. I did not.
1: <laughs> we're <laughs> uh Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Um, go, no, go on. We're, uh, okay, so we both we both went to UCLA. So, you know, Westwood, California, um, a city which is pretty plugged into the entertainment industry. hmm And, you know, if you talk to people around that time, which I do not
0: recommend, yeah,
1: you would know like you would be having conversations with people who were kind of on the periphery of the industry or new industry people. And there were rumors about him going around even at the time. Like, yeah, like he really kind of likes young guys and he comes on like really strong. Like, yeah, actually, he's gay and a little bit of a a lech. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing that. Yeah, which of course, like, you know, you don't want to believe at the time because it's like, oh no, like, you know, I like that guy. Like, he's in good, yeah, but he's really good. Stuff, but, yeah, uh, but hey, well, you know.
0: hey, hey, Jen, it's Chinatown.
1: <laughs> um, But, like, we're getting a little off the point as we often do. Um, suffice to say that, you know, All these right. Fight Club was one of those movies which was really important to us as young people in our 20s. But it hits way different 20 years later. And in fact, um, it reflects a lot of what I consider a very positive thing about getting older is that um, like art is more powerful as you age. At least that's what I found. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like like watching this is like, I mean, I obviously like I liked it at the time, but it was like, damn, Jen, you just didn't even like fucking get it. For real, <laughs> like, just and that might be true of Fight Club in general because, like you know, now people love this movie. It is a cultural touchstone. Like everyone knows who you're talking about when you mentioned Tyler Durden. Oh yeah. Or the f- first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> um, we're breaking the rule, but who cares? Yeah, I'm yeah. a chick, so they wouldn't let me in Fight Club anyway. It, right. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, a movie that is popular might have depths that the larger audience isn't quite, like, uh, glomming onto. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have a lot to do with why this movie is still contentious to this day. It was certainly contentious at the time. And one thing that I actually didn't remember happening that I just looked up today was uh, when it came out, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, because she was on TV, she had seen the movie and she went on TV and immediately spoiled the big twist and told people, don't see this movie.
0: Yeah, I remember when someone did that with a Watchmen movie, which, I mean, say you want about that. Like, you don't have to spoil mm. a movie and, you know, just to review it. And, yeah, that's kind of the problem is that, like, you know, art can be released into a culture and, you know, like the people who consume it, it can just be rock stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're going to get that. You know, it's sort of like, you know... When you make art, like you no longer own it, is you know, people are, you know, free to interpret it however they choose. And those interpret those interpretations could be absolute dog shit. And, you know, that's what you're gonna get. Like I remember at the time people, you know, trying in earnest to, you know, come up with like their own little, you know, fight club just as like, you know, a um you know, like a gym or basically like a gym support group or something. And like you can tr- kinda try that, but it's one of those, you know, well meaning ideas that doesn't really work out in real life. Um,
1: I would actually be really curious to see a fight club founded in real life like how that would actually go down because there's a limit to the number of bare knuckle punches to the face you can take without becoming (laughs) severely debilitated.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it does exist as an abstract notion and it has like, I mean, the movie has like such a huge concept behind it, maybe not that huge if you are, you know, a Buddhist but you know the just the idea of stop holding on so tightly to the life that you have and just like you know let it, let it ride let the chips fall where they may as the movie tells you, and slide. that yeah slide that is like such a huge thing I think for a like in I bring it I bring it up twice I think this is such a huge concept for a non Buddhist person to take on. Because, you know, I i mean, even the narrator, you know, he describes himself as, like, this warm little light, you know, that the, the world is crowding itself around. And, like, that is precious to you. Like, your, mm-hmm. your life and your existence and your things and your stuff and all your, mm-hmm. and your dumb Ikea furniture and your crappy job that you don't really, you know, that you aren't invested in. Mm-hmm. Like, that, these, you, you form an attachment to. And, you know, the thing, the notion of karma is, like, you know, this notion of attachment to things. You know, attachment mm-hmm. to, like, you know inanimate objects or you know relationships in your life or things that you know things that affect you where it's like you have to you have to be able to like be glad that you have them but also be able to let them go and that's that I feel is the kind of the the difficult you know concept at the core of Fight Club is you know and and it does explicitly tell you as much it's like you have to accept that someday you will die and mm-hmm. that is really the struggle that the narrator has is is that He's living this stupid, pointless, go-nowhere life, which I think any 20-something can relate to, especially now, you know, mm-hmm. people flipping burgers for wages that, you know, aren't enough to, like, afford, you know, rent on a one-bedroom apartment.
1: Well, 20 years on, um, you know, the the uh, the people who would be the analogs to the narrator's character, like, there's no way in hell they could afford that 1,700-square-foot condo. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he is... Uh, and there are there are a lot of un- unfortunate buzzwords that have you know entered the zeitgeist since Fight Club, but Fight Club had already addressed them. You know we just didn't have the language to discuss them. Uh, the narrator lives a very privileged lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah, he has you know a job that he you know is barely present for. It affords him a comfortable lifestyle where he's b- able to like buy stuff to fill this void in his life. You know that is caused by its complete lack of you know substance and meaning but he's doing all right for himself and you know there's that fear of like you know losing your apartment and losing all your you know versatile solutions for living um you know what happened if you like just chucked it all away and went to go live in some tenement you know a half mile from you know from you know the next person from you know anywhere from civilization what if what if you had to live you know basically like a homeless person my apologies to everyone in LA right now of which you know half of them are currently unhoused
1: you know what? Nowadays, that um, that house on Paper Street, like the move would be to like fix it up and then flip it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It, it'd be like the the Ghostbusters. You know, wisest investment was buying you know uh, a a corner uh, commercial building in like you know Manhattan. And
1: the neighborhood is like a demilitarized zone. Um, to <laughs> That's go back what it is. to you something. Get in at the bottom. Yeah. To to but to go back to something that you mentioned. Him, which I also picked up on throughout the movie. Um, there are a lot of phrases and concepts in this movie which could be, you know, which could be mapped onto to Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And watching this, it hit me. I was like, oh my god, I understand for the first time the how face. Buddhism, even Buddhism, can get twisted into fascism. Laid on me. Well. Because that's the that's the direction that, uh, you know, Tyler Durden and Project Mayhem end up going in is, you know, what starts is kind of an impromptu support group for men becomes like a militarized organization. And while a lot of the the. You know, a lot of the like let's be real, like a lot of the goals of Project Mayhem are like extremely funny or like you know, righteous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're they're benign.
1: Um yeah, well, like I don't even know if I would say benign. I would say like very like extremely disruptive either in like a funny or a, even an approaching revolutionary kind of way. Right. Well, but- here then there's the point where like there's a definite point in the narrative where things start to curdle and tyler becomes more like a cult leader and all of a sudden his followers are all dressed in black and acting like they're in a boot camp and they're doing these mysterious operations which like you know the narrator uh, you know in his awake state is like not privy to and it's all like out of his control and uh you know when uh meatloaf's character is killed
0: Hmm. and they're just
1: chanting his name like they can't even fucking grieve normally like they have not actually achieved um you know any kind of uh they haven't really broken out of their But kind of like framework of masculinity, it's like, no, we're just going to like robotically and militaristically chant his name as a way of remembering it. And it's like, oh, in death, like we all have a name. And it's like, no, you guys are fucking missing the point. Like this was a human being who like fucking got killed.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, And that's like the, that's kind of a dark comedic turn for the movie where the idea that, you know, a fight club and Project Mayhem, like that's where they've, they've kind of gotten away from him at that point. Like they've gotten away from the guy who created it, which. Is, you know, in a way, it kind of prefaces, you know, audience reaction to the movie, where it's like, I presented, you know, some, you know, what I think are, you know, some, or, you know, the movie presents some solid ideas about, you know, living a, you know, living a valid, you know, an honest, you know, living a life where you're kind of being honest with yourself, you know, living a truthful, you know, legitimate existence. But then, you know, these ideas, like you say, like they kind of curdle, they kind of get away from him. And then people who maybe didn't go through the same degree of you know, self-enlightenment that he did, they kind of pick up on the on the shallow aspects of it. You know, they pick up on like the mayhem aspect of it rather than maybe the, you know, destroy yourself so you can rebuild yourself better aspect behind it.
1: Well, I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, when we're talking about Tyler Durden and and I'm talking about, like, the Brad Pitt Tyler Durden and mm-hmm. Edward Norton, the narrator. Yeah. Like, there's a reason that these, that, that you know, Tyler Durden, like, mm-hmm. the Brad Pitt Tyler Durden is not, like, a fully, like, self-actualized personality. He's a fragment of a personality. And as such, he represents certain aspects of, like, the Edward Norton character, like the... um. Yeah, I mean, you
0: have this id and this ego that are at odds with each other, and the movie is about their synthesis. Ultimately. Yeah, the
1: intensely the intensely masculine man of action. And, yeah, I look um, like you want to
0: look, I fuck like you want to fuck, I'm free in all the ways that you are not.
1: Yeah, and, uh, like, there's a reason that... <laughs> I can
0: quote this movie endlessly, but, you know, you asked me during the day, you know, did you order pens with blue ink or black, and I can't remember. <laughs>
1: It is a very quotable one, and and I've seen it enough yeah. that I almost knew it by heart. But, <clears throat> again, coming back to it, like, years <clears throat> after the last time I had watched it, it really was that much richer for me, like, m- because at least the way I was seeing it was as, like, a profoundly cynical narrative about masculinity and how absolutely awry that can go
0: are you talking about like the project mayhem element of of it or do you see that as like the through line of the movie
1: well that's um i guess you could call it the through line of the movie but it's also how uh tyler durden embodies like all of the worst aspects of masculinity like i mean like and Fincher was definitely aware of this because, like, he's he's mentioned before, like, you know, like, you don't want... On the one hand, you don't want the audience to <clears throat> idolize Tyler, but you want them to love him. And it's like, he is fucking cool. Like, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. He's Brad Pitt. You can't take your eyes off him. Like, he's a star. But he's also, like, a really malignant personality. I mean, like, when the... The way that he acts after like the first time he fucks Marla it's like you know very glib like oh he calls her you know stupid coos um, like his attitude is that of like he's the aspect of the narrator's personality which just has like complete contempt for women like you know she's a hole like fuck him you're done um I don't and maybe he
0: just sees you know he sees that for what it is like they are you know kind of two sides of the same coin you know he's uh, he is sort of this unrestrained id, mm. you know. Like you said, like you know, he if you know, like Jen, I think you can relate to this. Like you're able to, if you, you know, in your daily life, were able to like dress however you pleased, like you mm-hmm. know, damn the consequences. That's an enviable um, do. life. Yeah, exactly. I've you know, seen it.
1: <laughs> it's because I don't have a real job, too. right?
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, if you're, it's
1: ru- it rules. It's totally sick. I love it.
0: Okay. Well, that one point for Tyler. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then also, like, if you're, you know, the narrator, and you're in just this dumb office job where you just, you know, are applying this ghoulish formula, and you're like, "This isn't what I want to do with my life." Versus the guy mm-hmm. who, like, you know, he travels around the country, you know, he owns his own business, he doesn't have a boss. That's pretty enviable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, yeah to, well, to see like it's, it's where he the, would um... like to be, and,
1: and no, it, absolutely, because like it's kind of like um, you know, like when everybody got mad at like last temptation of christ because oh
0: because they let uh because they didn't kill him at the end and he gets saved in a spaceship
1: <laughs> well no because like um they depicted jesus being tempted like mm-hmm. you know he has oh, right yeah he has sex he has a family you know he sees like this whole other life which he could have if he wasn't like a fucking messiah yeah just sell and, out dude yeah and people got really angry about that and it's like well like yeah
0: what well, the point like is those- temptation if not to be tempting
1: yeah it's like it has to like be it has yeah like exactly it has to fucking be tempting yeah. like you can't just be like oh like you know it'd be it would be like kind of okay if i just gave this up and like didn't get crucified and had a family like it that would be okay i guess it's like no it has to be like there has to be this real sense of yeah like it would be so much easier to
0: it. not be you know sacrificed for the you know s- for the sake of all mankind. Like, it would be yeah. easier to, like, let someone else do that.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, like, the casting is very apt in this movie because you have um, uh, Edward Norton, who's, you know, a very gifted actor, but, you know, he's not a Brad Pitt. He's, like, um, yeah, you know, he's I mean, he is... not, not nebishy, but he's, like, you know, he's slight. He doesn't right. have, like, a, you know, like, a chiseled face. And then, like, you look at... Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden like there's a particular shot in the movie and I know I know you all noticed the shot um it's when it's a scene in the fight club where he just kind of like rears back into the light and you see his yeah, the like, pants it, yeah you see like his exquisite torso and this is immediately after a scene where they were on like public transportation and like laughing at a Gucci ad of yeah like a really like yeah built- is that what
0: a man looks like
1: Guy and it's like oh haha like that's so stupid but it's like hey look at Tyler Durden like he looks like he has the body of a god and you know you want you know you want to fucking look like this. (laughs) Um, I did when I was looking for takes current takes on the movie Fight Club I did find one that was uh, that was uh, delightfully piquant.
0: Yeah, the thing that we're dancing around that we should have opened up with immediately like this is this is the like genesis of the Chad Incel meme.
1: I mean, yeah, Tyler well, is the
0: Chad, narrator is the incel. Like that's you can't put it any more plainly than that. Again, well, we didn't actually, have the language to describe it at the time, but in hindsight, we do.
1: Well, that was the other thing that, that really hit me watching this movie was, was like, oh my god, this prefigured so much, like yeah, really no idea, awful shit, like like you know incels, like pickup artist shit, like GamerGate, like MGTOW. all. The- yeah. Yeah, privileged, like, safe spaces. They're,
0: they're big towns. Yeah. Yeah, just like essential, the whole, the whole like essential workers, I identify as, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's all in there. Yeah. The power of collective action. Uh. Yep. Yeah, yeah, blue-collar well, jobs. Well, I'm
1: specifically, like, I'm specifically talking about like, in in this instance, I'm talking about like, Uh. God, And. I wish there's a better fucking phrase for it than toxic masculinity because that is like, it's, such a dumb reductive phrase. It's right. like used by the stupidest people. It's often used to like critique this movie, like really unfairly, like not realizing that this movie is actually like, you know, dismantling a lot of those. It's notions. like this movie
0: is so far ahead of what your opinion is. you know, You think it's, you're like all turned around. So,
1: yeah. So it's like, like it, it, it is a teardown of all these things that we now live with. And right. it really prefigures, a lot of these, yeah, it was it was all internet- right there,
0: but people were too like you know uh, they're too put off to get it, and that's the problem.
1: Yeah, like it prefigures a lot of these like internet subcultures where um, men were <clears throat> turning to each other for support, which you know is a great Valid. like human impulse. Yeah, but you know it's like when you just join a subreddit and. Like you just reify each other's worst ideas, like all day, every day. Right. Then you get something like you get you get the perversion of this this kind of like revolutionary action is, that is is depicted in the movie. But um, anyway, this was a tweet uh, that I found where um, someone says, "Whoever did Fight Club, Brad Pitt's wardrobe needs the coochie eight, like all the way from the back."
0: Oh, you found my alt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it can be both things. Like, here's here's the thing. It's sort of like, you know, oh, you 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 know want to tear down, um, it, you know, Hollywood notions of you know identity and consumerism, and yet you participate in you know buying a movie ticket. Curious. Like, give me a fucking break here. Like, you can participate in a system, you know, and still like. Find validity in uh, ideas that run counter to it.
1: Right. Well, what like so, what are you specifically referring to? a well, movie so, with that.
0: Well, so I'm referring to like the person being like, oh, this wardrobe person, you know, needs their ass aid, or whatever. Um, <laughs> the uh, because like you can have like a stylish, unconventional movie and like appreciate the style and unconventional notions, like the work that went into it, because you know these are creative professionals who are making this movie. I mean, maybe getting hung up on it might be missing the forest for the trees, but yeah, like it is also it is a you know trick that is performed well and you can appreciate it on that level and still internalize the ideas that it presents to you.
1: Well yeah, I mean that's If you goes don't then you're to... just stupid.
0: Sorry, that's the third time I called people stupid in this episode.
1: Well that's you know, that's going back to what I was saying about Fincher where he was like, you know, the audience really has to love tyler durden it's yeah. like he has to be you know like jesus has to be tempted and tyler has to look like the he has to be a cool fucking, fucking guy. guy you've ever met in your life like well, the kind of guy who could plausibly go across the country and create lots of little fight clubs which become um for lack of a better phrase like terrorist cells
0: yeah ooh, that is not an <laughs> an unfortunate comparison but again it was 99 who the fuck knew of if- terrorist cells operating independently for to achieve a large goal that culminated in the destruction of several skyscrapers.
1: <laughs> I mean the well. like I I mean I'll just say it like I think the ending is, is great because I was like, yeah, you know, those buildings deserve to come down.
0: Right, yeah, which is what a terrorist would say. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, But but yeah, the other thing too about those buildings coming down, like that is erasing the debt record. Twenty years on, we like we still have like people are still discussing this. Like we're still trying to like you know yank Biden over to be like forgive fifty thousand dollars of like student debt for fuck's sake. You're killing this generation. Like you know we have like AOC who was like fucking nine when Fight Club came out. Like she's still fighting this fight. Like we already knew about it twenty years ago. Someone did something in a movie about it but no one's actually done anything about it, you know, IRL.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, like the, the the Biden approach where it's like, well, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll give you a mulligan on like uh, $50,000. And it's like, uh, you know, like that doesn't do a hell of a lot for people who are like $100,000 in yeah. debt.
0: Yeah, just like erase the debt record, set everyone back to zero, free people from like the, you know, meaningless lives of toil that they're, you know... Saddled with because of you know the this uh financial system that's that's put them in the state, it's it's the same thing with um again getting back to the you know middle children of history speech, which I feel like you know is kind of the mission statement of the movie. You know, it's people you know, uh, you know, Tyler is saying like you know, all of you are great, all of you are you know, you know, giants, but you have. It, you're 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 pumping gas like you're wasting your lives you're working in a you know a mini mart like is this really what you want to do with your life and everyone knows that is not the case but it's a system that has put them there and all these you know all these people's lives are just being wasted by an unjust you know capitalist system
1: yeah and it's kind of interesting how that gets um like again it kind of curdles like there's a scene where um uh you know Tyler during There's a scene where Tyler Durden gets a gun and hauls some poor convenience store clerk into Mm -hmm. the parking lot. Oh, you don't
0: like that scene?
1: What? Why do you assume that?
0: I mean, you said it curled, curdled.
1: Well, let me finish my point. All right. Before you assume that I'm just shitting on it, because, um, like, the point is that, um, uh, you know, like it, it, it is of course like correct to point out how everyone is suffering. Under capitalism like they're living these Like really pointless lives which are just about Consuming And you know working pointless Jobs and, and what not but As the movie goes on Like Tyler's approach To these men Becomes like more and more sadistic And it's like he you know He hauls his clerk out into the parking lot And you know berates him the guy is like Sobbing and begging for his life and Then he makes the guy promise that he's going to go back to school To become a veterinarian Okay. And it's like, and, you know, Edward Norton's character is, is, like, horrified. He's like, what the, like, this isn't, like, that's not funny. Like, what, like, he says, it's not funny. Because, like, a lot of what Tyler has been doing through the movie is extremely fucking funny. Yeah. And is the kind of thing that you and I and everyone, like, wish that they could do or say. Right. But it's like, man, like, you're, like, why are you, like, berating and traumatizing this, like, poor guy who's just trying to make ends meet? It's like, yeah, it fucking sucks that he's, like working in a convenience store, but, you know, like you pointed out, it's like, that's like a failed system. It's like, why berate the guy for like, kind of struggling along? And like, that's, I think that's where the, um you know, the critique of, of masculinity comes in where it's always like, it always ends up being a thing of like, well, hey, stupid, like, why don't you just like fucking get your head out of your ass, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, like, you know, become self-actualized. It's like, well, um, I would like to, um, but, like, there are all these societal factors, like, kind of holding me down. Um, and I think it's, it's, I think it's a great scene, and because um, the script actually does this really well in kind of depicting like, this kind of, like, nightmare descent into, like, Militarism and, and fascism and cruelty, and like the lack of regard for human life. Like, the um, and I'm definitely not smart enough to put a lot of this stuff across. About you know, I know there's like a big connection between like fascism and like the death drive and all that, where um, you know, death becomes like a you know, like an end unto itself. It's It becomes less about, like, hey, you know, like, let's let go of the things that don't matter. Like, these possessions don't fucking matter. Like, just let it all go. And it's, like, no, like, you know, turn yourself into a kamikaze for this, like, arcane cause. Like, just fucking kill yourself, and it'll be fucking awesome. And then we'll all chant your name after you die. And that's, like, very nihilistic. Um, And that's, I, I think that's why, that's where, like, Project Mayhem, like, goes so wrong and um i think it's telling in the movie that um you know the narrator like you know he starts off trying to get human connection through these like support groups which are you know sort of like they uh, play a little bit for laughs like you know um, yeah, and
0: it's easy to play for laughs because like the character himself is not invested in any of it like they're just you know caricatures to him
1: yeah it's like that kind of like, well, you know, it's like another thing which there's a lot of these days, which is it's kind of like detached irony where it's like, yeah, kind of um,
0: yeah, it's like, uh, oh, it sucks about your sickle cell, I'm white, and I clearly don't have it, but yeah, oh man, that must be that must be a real drag, I don't know,
1: yeah I mean it's, yeah, it's, even
0: you know, Marlo, you know, going up into the testicular cancer group, like she doesn't have <laughs> testicles,
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, it, you know, it's like the the kind of like Atrocity tourism And like uh, and Disconnection Yeah that ironic detachment for sure Yeah and um uh, The narrator doesn't kind of like uh You know he's like The Tyler Durden aspect of his personality uh, I mean he is, he is Tyler Durden But like it's easier to call Brad Pitt Tyler Durden mm-hmm. The Tyler Durden aspect of his personality Is absolutely correct to be like Dude like You know Stop being such a pussy Like forget about all this crap in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be so chicken shit. That you can't even ask someone. For a place to stay. Yeah. Like you know. Like sack up a little bit. And it like those motives are correct. But then to kind of like. Like just scream. Right past like any. Genuine. Self-reflection or emotional connection. With other human beings. And go right into. These kind of violent sadistic actions like the I, like fight club is really good at at kind of drawing out that narrative like the descent where you think like like hey like you know Tyler Durden could be this guy's salvation and it's like oh no like this is out of control like this is not where this is not a healthy place to go
0: yeah that's where he becomes the antagonist because you know otherwise you know, you don't have a movie um, I yeah and
1: and 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 like a lot of the um whereas a lot of like sorry to cut you off Tim but I just want to make this point really quick where like you know a lot of the project mayhem actions are like quite like I said like you know like quite righteous right um, because they are <clears throat> very revolutionary and disruptive but then there's a point where they just become like
0: well yeah, the movie calls it out. It's like you're going around like in black ski mask blowing stuff up. What did you expect to happen?
1: Well, you know what it is? It's like Tyler Durden is ad busters.
0: Okay. Um, where it's
1: like it's like it's like, oh well <laughs> like, you know, fuck fuck you and your you corporate bullshit man. It's like, okay, well, like what like what do we do? And like I think it's very telling that, you know, in this movie, like uh, you know, you have like one you have one woman You have Marla Who's incredibly important In the story And I, I fucking love The character of Marla Singer Right yeah Um The only where, The only place That children appear is, is like A cutaway gag
0: I don't even because, remember Any children In that movie
1: Well you know Because like Tyler splices Single frames of Portable oh, right, Into yeah. like, kids movies And then you see like yeah, A Jen, little girl Yeah you're a projectionist crying. Yeah Oh yeah I used to do that All the time cool. Um But <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that what happened With that
1: Print. oh tim <laughs> god damn it i'm bleeping that <laughs> <laughs> all right i don't i don't want to cop to that yet okay, um fine. no but um uh shit i lost my train of thought because uh my my guilt over d- is so profound yeah there, it's there weren't because, any kids um, in the movie and, you know i know that this is a a movie about like young men and their search for identity but like there's a reason that like any kind of like familial Relationship like just isn't even on the radar Beyond like realizing How inadequate your father was Because he was Absent basically Mm -hmm. or You just didn't connect With the guy at all because like neither of you Like knew how to do that Um it's just Like not it is not even on the Radar for these guys
0: yeah Um uh, So let's see rewinding Um yeah, there's uh, you know, what do you expect to to happen? It's interesting too that um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the 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 uh, performance art done uh, under Project Mayhem is sort of you know damage to capital, and I know that we've seen recently, you know, especially with like the George Floyd things and Antifa. I mean, you know, Project Mayhem is kind of Antifa a little, um, like a lot of their uh, a lot of their work is anti-capital. Like it's not going out and like you know, beating people up or starting riots or, like, uh, you know, you aren't killing people, but, you know, they're, like, uh, allowing, you know, uh, BMW dealerships to get, you know, shit on by pigeons, and, you know, they're, like, uh, reversing the, um, you know, the do not back up, you know, tire uh, <laughs> punctured strips, um, which, you know, wrecks a limo. And even in the um, in the uh, commentary, they're talking about, um, you know, like, when they uh, hit the... It, like when they set off the airbags of that uh, v w beetle um but like as they're going through and that scene is kind of instructive too about like the philosophy of project mayhem is that like there's they pass up like just kind of like a civic or just some like nothing yeah. car and one of them is like leave it because that is that is I like, was gonna say, that it's is a, a proletarian working car. person's car like you don't need to f- yeah it's a proletariat car um uh, or proletarian yeah and but then like and this is something that you know Ed Norton mentioned in the commentary when they you know set off the airbags in that Beetle like that to him you know encapsulated you know an automaker like a corporation selling back like this you mm-hmm. know peace and love sixties vibe like it's like oh hey you can buy that now and so like that's the reason that they you know damaged that car because they're like you know it is a it is it is a um disingenuous message that the you know new you know reintroduced VW Beetle it's trying to send to consumers.
1: Yeah cuz I was going to say that was right around the time when they were like we're bringing the Beetle back and it's like don't you uh, like do, I remember those commercials where it was yeah. like the like the little Beatles. Yeah it's Beatles Yeah it is always of
0: yeah it's always of like you know getting you to like buy stuff by you know selling you an identity and it's what you know the narrator of the movie has gone through and it's what a people a lot of people in the audience go through. Um, I'd have to disagree with you about the, uh, you know, the Raymond K. Hessel scene, mostly because, um, uh, like, viewing it from a performance art point of view, the thing, like, uh, I just as just as a brief sidebar, I was hanging out with a couple of performance artists who were way more bold and daring and innovative than I am. Um, unfortunately, I can't remember their names because at the time I was drunk off my ass. But I made an excellent point to to one of them. Fuck, what was her name? She's incredible, by the way. Um, but I made a point to her about like what is the what is the purpose of performance art? And I don't like that in the movie. One of the headlines is "performance artist quote molested," and I'm just like, oh. Performance art is important. It is a legitimate art form. Uh, but the point that I made to her that I cannot get back because I haven't reached that perfect level of drunkenness is that um, the the importance of performance art is it is taking something that you have never thought of and extrapolates it to such a ridiculous degree that you have to like take us take a second to step back and think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a performance artist I love, despite not being able to pronounce his name, Tinsing hey. I don't know. Um he's done a couple of works that he describes as elaborate ways of wasting time. Mm-hmm. Um there is uh one where um he didn't go inside for a year. That was it. The performance was I will not live indoors for, you know, from this hour on this date until this date, one year, you know, one year hence. Um he did one where he had to uh he had to punch a clock every hour. That's mm-hmm. it. Like he, you know, it was hooked up to a camera, so you know you got him punching the clock every hour on the hour, and you you got a nice film that comes out of it of you know the hands spinning away. His hair gets longer, then he shaves it all off. His hair gets longer, he shaves it all off. A year he does that. Uh, Another one of him. um, Oh no, I think this was. um, God, I'm so terrible with names. Um, God, um, the the not the audience is listening. The artist is present. Where she
1: <coughs> Marina Abramovic.
0: Uh, uh, Abramovic, yes. Which is ironic because you know this other performance artist doesn't like her. But I mean, it, name me two performance artists. Um, actually, I just named two. I butchered both of them. This is beside the point. Let me do another line of speed real quick. Um, <laughs> so the uh, so the point of you know Tensing Hayes' work. I've butchered his name. We can drop his name in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, just <laughs> the thing about Mr. Black uh, in his performance work, <laughs> the performance work that I like from Mr. Black is that um, the the what he's doing is he is showing you something that you have never given a second thought of, and he's showing it to you to such an insane degree that to look at it again, you're like, "Wait a goddamn minute, this is nuts." So in a year where he you know, put his life on hold to say, I'm going to check in. I'm going to punch a clock every hour. And then you go to your job where you punch a clock every hour and you go, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. That is the Raymond K. Hassel scene. That is Raymond not realizing his life is being stolen from him minute by minute. Every day that he continues to work in this convenience store, like is a minute not spent on what he feels he was put on this earth to do. He doesn't realize, you know, the movie tells you this, though, but he doesn't realize it. this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. So as he goes through that, like, you may not even realize you like the narrator. You spent, you know, 20, 40 years working at a job you didn't give a shit about and you never amounted to anything outside of that job. You didn't realize that you have been killed. It took 40 years, but it fucking killed you. Tyler's going out there, and he's going to say, "I'm not going to take 40 years to kill you. I'm going to kill you right now, and your life will, have, you know, your life will have amounted to jack shit. Well, like your imagine your life ends fucking now. What are you going to do about it? Well, and, and to put someone in such a, a difficult position as that, that's enough to. I feel that is. Oh, that's what you'd have to do to snap someone out of it. Well it's, it's like you know it's like climate change we've known about that since the seventies. no one's done anything about it. You have to have forests on fire and you have to have you know flooding of like you know several states you have to have you know category five hurricanes for people to be like, hmm, maybe there is something to this
1: Well, the thing with climate change is that um you know when like about five people control all the wealth in the world and have the power to repudiate like any potentially Revolutionary action against it. It's like that. I mean, that goes like way beyond like any individual like I mean it and you know, that's I I think that's the point of the Raymond K. Hessel scene is is like Tyler, like, why are you abusing and terrifying this man? Like, you are correct that, you know, it's a, it's a sad waste of a life and a mind to just be Toiling for pennies in a convenience store But you know if you look at the narrator's Reaction to it I think like Correctly he's like Tyler what the fuck are you doing Like
0: It is an intense scene but I mean I think that The point is valid
1: But it's far enough along in the narrative Where the narrator is starting To become Really horrified By Tyler's actions That I think that's the reason that There's a reason why it's there in the narrative And not earlier in the film
0: Right. Yeah, it is It is kind of the uh, notion of, you know, Tyler's philosophy kind of getting away from him. He's, you know, he's going too far in a few... I think I might have gone <laughs> a little too far in a few places. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that is where um, yeah, the end of the movie has to be you know, the narrator balancing out Tyler. He's got to, like, reassert control of these Tyler impulses rather than just being like, you know, Tyler's this unrestrained id, you know? He goes and does whatever he pleases you know, and Based on, you know, he does have a, um, like, a, a basic idea of what he wants to accomplish, but, you know, maybe that, you know, there are some, you know, broken eggs, you know, on the way.
1: Well, he doesn't, he doesn't merely rein Tyler in, he kills him. Right, yeah. It's like he kills that aspect of his personality, like the violent, glib, like, asshole misogynist. And, you know, while while those buildings fall, um, mm-hmm. you know, the culmination of Project Mayhem, he stands there with Marla and he takes her hand.
0: Right. Well, yeah. I mean, she met him at a really weird time in his life.
1: <laughs> Which is, like, ladies, how many of us can relate to that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, guys are going through shit. What can I say?
1: I love, I love Marla as a character because she has... So goddamn many problems. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, you can relate to that. Like there is if no there's... there is no effort to kind of sand off the edges with Marla. Like mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter is an extremely beautiful woman, and like her her beauty comes yeah. through even. With the costume design and makeup, I saw an anecdote where she asked her makeup person to apply her eyeliner with her left hand. Oh, the wrong hand! Yeah, (laughs) because you know she's like, yeah, you know Marla is not going to care about getting like a precise wing eyeliner cat eye, you know. Yeah. Um, But still, she looks good. I mean, Helen Bon Carter, she's right, yeah. But like the. You know her like her grubbiness, like her cigarettes, like her thrift store dresses. You mm-hmm. know, like her stealing clothes, her stealing meals on wheels. Like this is a desperate person, and like the the place that she lives is like just absolute like flop house yeah. downtown LA. It's like it's like a block away from Skid Row. Like that, and it's interesting that um, Tyler keeps referring to hitting bottom as mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, in uh, reference to the narrator, like Marla is living at the bottom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She she didn't have, I want to say, the the option of choosing to hit rock bottom the way the narrator has. Because, again, the narrator does come from an initially privileged position. Yeah. Like he's like, working
1: a white collar job.
0: Yeah. And he yeah, can where afford to like,
1: fucking sell. Like 1,700 yes. square feet is bigger than the house I grew up in.
0: Right. Well, yeah, it's because, you know, the CIA doesn't pay that much. Uh, I mean, and,
1: you know, like, not that I wasn't, like, just completely fucking petty booge, but I was like, damn, 79 square foot condo. That's huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the the two of them are kind of, you know, they're on the same track. It's just that he's, you know, sort of, you know, dipping his toe into it. Like, he's the fucking tourist in all this. Whereas, you know, Marla's like, she's a little bit ahead of him. Yeah. That she kind of is genuinely embodying that lifestyle because she doesn't really have a choice in the matter. Like, she can't be like, ah, to hell with this. I'm just going to go back to work. It's like, I don't even know what Marla does <laughs> know, to, like, sustain herself. I mean, if she is, I like... I think she
1: collects disability.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can believe that.
1: I mean, hey, like, you know, like, if she's, if she's lying, like, I, would you put it past her to lie about being disabled? And honestly, I say good for her.
0: Right, yeah, I am not... Uh, <clears throat> I don't... That is not supported in the movie, but I completely agree with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could, like, you're you're right, it's not in the text, but, like, I think yeah. we could probably extrapolate that, <laughs> oh, yeah. considering that they show her stealing from Meals on Wheels.
0: <laughs> yeah, stealing from Meals on Wheels, like, stealing, you know, people's, uh, you know, clothes out of the laundromat. And then when like, she,
1: she's got, like, the, the, the box meals, and she says to Tyler, like, well, I got one for you.
0: Well, she says it to the narrator, but yes.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right.
0: <laughs> Spoilers, Jen.
1: Um <laughs> Here's a funny thing. No, but um sorry, before I take off on that tangent, like was there anything else you wanted to add to that?
0: No, I mean, I think that like the idea of, yeah, like there there is a you know, Buddhism nihilism tension throughout the movie that it does ultimately end up having to resolve. And yeah, like you say, it isn't just him resolving that um scoring like his own identity with Tyler's it is yeah he has to he has to kill Tyler to reassert himself and i want to say that there does involve a synthesis of the two ideas but um maybe it's more of you know like you say like stop being a fucking pussy you know maybe like you know live a more authentic lifestyle and like that's the weirdness that the narrator's trying to come through but yes definitely let's take some time to talk about Marla because Marla is a great character especially in her relation to the narrator and Tyler, <laughs> I just—I I I guess love, technically I, related to the narrator because she only knows one.
1: Yeah, no, I love—I love her so much that I dressed up as her for Halloween one year. I should dig up that those photos. Oh yeah,
0: that that's f- probably still on MySpace somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Woo, simpler times. Um, yeah, no, but um, like what I was going to say about um, uh, Tyler and the and and the narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was going to say something about, about Marla. Oh yeah. Like I, um, I guess Marla,
0: the big tourist,
1: <laughs> and that's so funny because he's like, he's like, you know, he just like hates her guts. Cause she's like, oh yeah. Like she, you know, she's like, she's not really, she doesn't have testicular cancer. It's like, dude, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. She, yeah. And her she lie reflected my it. lie. Yeah. yeah. Is this going the way that you expected? It?
1: Yeah. It's uh, and and, um, that's and funny. Another thing which makes Marla, like, such a compelling character is that, you know, that she is a little bit ahead of the narrator and, like, a lot of her Mm -hmm. barbs, like, really land.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. She understands him better than he understands himself because he is only, like, just getting into this.
1: Well, because, yeah, because, like, she's, like, I mean, she's a fucked up mess, but, like, she, like, I feel like as a woman she had, she's had a little bit more of an emotional... Um, uh, she has a better um, more emotional
0: resources to draw upon, or more of like an infrastructure to work with, versus like because I mean emotional you know, the narrator, intelligence is yeah, the phrase
1: c- that I'm grabbing at like she thank you. she yes. like understands a little better where and um
0: right I mean the narrator himself he describes himself as a 30 year old boy like he never had the means to grow up
1: yeah and oh you know I remember actually what I was gonna say like um you know when um. I said earlier, like, earlier in the movie when, you know, the Tyler's message to the narrator is, like, you know, stop being such a fucking pussy. Like, mm-hmm. I think the next stage of development is, not that I have a problem with people saying pussy, but like, mm-hmm. he has to carve away like, that kind of, um, you know, veneer of like, cool misogyny to, like, move forward. Where it's like, you know, it isn't just like, not being a fucking pussy. It's like, just being... A self-actualized person
0: right yeah because i mean he refers tyler refers to marla as a sport fuck which i yeah. mean that's the level that he relates to marla on which is kind of ironic too later on you know in the movie when you know she finally you know breaks up with with the narrator despite like laying out as much effort as let's say several of my exes have done to try and meet me halfway <laughs> meet him halfway paging dr freud um but uh but yeah and she she's like yeah you know you're you're you know you're you're smart and funny you're incredible in bed and it's great because there's like this moment of edward being like all right
1: yeah like and it was so funny like at that um like at that scene which i remembered because like it always struck me as like an extremely funny moment and a nice little bit of business from Edward Norton, like Miami thought was like, wow, Tim, how many times have you had this conversation with your girlfriends?
0: Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. up. (laughs) The answer is all of them. (laughs)
1: Well, Tim, at least you're great in (laughs) that. Well, and and the
0: thing too, like, yeah, going back and watching Fight Club again and just like, you know, once you see the turn, because, you know there's great depth in marla's character and in her relation to the others because you watch fight club the first time and you're like what the fuck is marla's deal yeah it's like, just like, she's
1: at 20 i had no frame of reference for any of the relation stuff relationship mm-hmm. stuff in this movie like and now like at 42 you're it's right. like, oh my God, like all of that is like so fucking
0: relatable. Yeah, it hurts so much more because, yeah, like the first time you watch Fight Club, you see Marla and you only understand her from the narrator's perspective where it's like he has this, you know, nice little, um, you know, tourist life carved out for himself or, you know, he goes to these support groups and now he's got his friend Tyler and now he pals around with Tyler and, you know, he's got his, his buddy here and this Fucking, like this bad penny mm-hmm. just keeps showing up like, oh, <laughs> hey, I'm Marla. I'm fucking your best friend now. You got to deal with me. Ha, ha, ha. And he Bitches, just, and so, man. Yeah. And so like when she comes down, he's like, what are you doing in my house? And then to like, <laughs> after you've seen the movie once and you're just like, oh, Tim, you're such a fucking idiot. <laughs> Narrator, whatever his name is.
1: It's uh, It's so funny because like as... A 20 year old. Painful
0: catharsis. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, as a 20 year old watching this movie in the theater, like, this is how stupid I was. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Even seeing that movie for the second, third, fourth, and fifth time, I Mm -hmm. still split Edward Norton from Brad Pitt as I was watching it. (laughs) I still, I swear to God, like, I still, like, even though I knew that, like, technically it was the same guy, I was still framing this as, like, a fight between like two separate individuals Mm -hmm. and now watching it, it's like, you know, like knowing the premise and really seeing what's going on. It's the whole time, like right from the beginning, I'm like, Oh, you know, this is a man warring with himself and yeah. the scenes where like Marla is just trying to figure out like what the fuck is this guy's yeah, what problem is like yeah. oh my god, this poor woman. Like she's already got ninety-nine problems. Yeah, yeah. And then, and she, she's... And then she meets this guy who, like, you know, and yeah. smart and, and funny,
0: great in bed.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> you whatever. know, he's like he's like funny and cute and like you have a good time and he lays the pipe real good, but like the next yeah. day, like, he says shit to you, and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you?
0: Yeah, like, it's like, I mean, more than anything, it's like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Like, I showed up to your house, and we fucked, and we had a great time, and I'm still around, and you're like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> or, or just like, you yes. know, and you see, and I, I forget the, the exact <laughs> line. I mean, I had it, but I lost it. But you know she's just like you know you're so you know fucked up. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, and, you know she's like like you know seeing that like quite little sign to herself as she leaves, and it's weird. Like there's this like oddly like centered shot of you know Ed Norton being like okay bye. It's almost kind of like sending you the audience off. It's just it's I don't know. It, it has a staging to it that's very uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. for people who you know are are nerds about like framing and cinematography. It's like you know the cop getting in your face in Psycho. It was just, yeah. like, right there. It, it's this kind of similar framing to it. um. But, but yeah, you can see, like, you know, like, Marla's just, like, so wounded by, like, his reaction that you know she's, like, sobbing at a bus stop, <laughs> like, you know, waiting to, like, get back to her, you know, shitty Flophouse apartment, you know, after, like... At you least know, she's she...
1: got that big, fat dildo.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's not a threat to you, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, the other thing too, like, is great, like, after, you know, she took all the, you know, Vicodin or whatever to, like, kill herself, and then, you know, would he, yeah, after he picks up the phone, and then he, you know, shows up as Tyler, and she's like, I called you? Yeah. That's just interesting, like, this, you know, about face and his personality. I don't know what it is, like, what came over him to, like, switch from this, like, you know, kind of, you know, nebbish incel, narrator into this you know into the the chad tyler durden
1: well i think like chad tyler is like i mean he is the guy who zeroes in on incredibly fucked up damaged women and is like hey like you know i can get a piece of pussy out of this
0: right well uh yeah oh i know what it is it is finally when she just flatly is like i just can't win with you can i yeah yeah that is the part where it's like, because they've been fighting, like they've been sniping back and forth and like even, because you know, it is that, you know, sort of uh, uh, trifecta between, you know, her and him and and Tyler. And it's even like an exquisitely written scene too, because it is, um, it is the narrator reacting to Tyler and her reacting to the narrator. Where yeah. he's like, you know, he he's answering Tyler and, he, and she's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you know, are we having sex or making love? Or like, what about, you know, is this a relationship or something? And he's like, oh, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing. But he, like, he's saying it's nothing to Tyler. And she's like, what do you mean it's not nothing? Is this, you know, what is this? And it's the the three of them interacting. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's so well-written until finally like it all blows up. And it is, you know, like like the narrator says, you know, it's, Tyler, it's Tyler's words coming out of my mouth, prefacing what, you know, you as the viewer will eventually realize, you know, it's, it's yeah. the same person, and it is. I don't know. I I don't I don't have like a, a grand you know theory about what came out of that scene. It's just that it it is executed so so expertly. Well, know, until it really, finally it all comes you know to a stop where she's like, I just can't win with you, can I?
1: Yeah, and it really it 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 really crystallizes like I think the you know the whole point of like the the Marla narrator-Tyler uh, mm-hmm. triad is that for, you know, a lot of men, like, they wall themselves off, like, so effectively from their mm-hmm. partners. It is like talking to a different person. And there are uh, there are some moments in the film where, um, you know, it's like a... God damn it. What was the last movie? Oh, yeah, Vampire's Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, Any time that Nicolas Cage's character in that movie is who might be on the cusp of a genuine emotion or a moment of Mm self-reflection. You know, he moves away. Like, you know, he leaves the gallery. I gotta take a piss, you know. right? Um, Tyler says, or the narrator says, you know, with Tyler's words in his mouth, this conversation is over and he just slams the door.
0: Right, yeah. And he is
1: effectively, he is completely shutting Marla out from any knowledge of him like as a real person it's like the only face that he can show to her is this really callous cool guy who you know well, like blows out well, her back walls and then leaves and then treats her like shit the next morning
0: right well the weird thing i mean it, it is a narrator treating her like shit the next morning it's the one being like who the fuck are you exactly. um, and it is yeah and it yeah. is weird too because you know him closing the door off like there's you know, Tyler, you know, working in the basement and he's closing the door off. And, you know, one of the third lines is, is like, you know, don't, t- don't mention, you know, me to her. Yeah. You know, don't talk to her about me because, like, you know, Tyler is like the id. You know, he's mm-hmm. this, you know, he's this, you know, core of who he wants to be. But, like, he can't bring that out to another person who, you know, he's more or less intimate with because he hasn't figured out who Tyler is yet. Like, he has to have, he has to sort Tyler out on his own. Like, he has to kill Tyler, and then he's okay to be with Marla. Because he's dealt with that side of himself.
1: Well, and also because, like, I think in um, relationships, a lot of times, like, uh, people will not cop to any of their darker impulses. Like, I mean, he's, like, he shows himself, like, as Tyler Durden, like, while they're fucking or whatever, but, like... Mm -hmm. To actually, like, let her in on, like, what he does, like, on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're you're much freer when you're, you know, being Tyler.
1: Yeah.
0: Or when you're with Marla.
1: Just, you know, moving about the country. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I also like how, um, you know, they're, with these characters, like, uh, they're different approaches to seeking connections with other people like these are really damaged people who cannot connect to other humans like on any kind of like a real level you know which is why they see each other at these like support groups and like marla's way of reaching out to tyler i think is something which you see I don't want to say, like, a lot, but, like, you know, if, you, if you've if you ever known, like, damaged, manipulative people, like, the...
0: I've known a couple, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, you know, like, the threat of suicide is a way of, like, getting someone to pay attention to you. hmm And it's, like, I'm not even, like, judging her for that because it's, like, wow, this is, like, a profoundly traumatized person. You know, like, call someone up and be, like, hey, like, you know, I just took a bunch of Vicodin and, like... Yeah. Ooh, that might have been a mistake. It's like, it is so manipulative. And it's like, it's like, God, that is so, that is like, so Marla. And like, sure enough, yeah. she gets him to come over.
0: <laughs> yeah, gets him to come over as Tyler. So, I mean, you can see why she would be attached. Tyler saved her life yeah. and gave her good fuck.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of like, geez, like, that's really how it goes sometimes where it's like, you get you get good things out of a relationship with a person who's like really bad for you. Like <laughs> she says to him, uh, I'm
0: going to have to take a couple of minutes and <laughs> that one."
1: <laughs> she says to him near the end of the movie, when he, when he, when he forcefully puts her onto that bus, she's like, you're the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And it's like, Oh God damn. Like again, like in your forties that hits so much harder than when you're just a dumb college <laughs> student.
0: Oh, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, what what else is uh, exquisitely painful about, uh, let's see, about Ugh. Marla's part of the movie?
1: Marla, what a queen.
0: <laughs> what a coos. <Kuz.
1: laughs> Stupid coos.
0: You, you know, she's both. Uh, the other thing, too, because it was like three times already that the narrator's, like, rebuked Marla until finally... And it's interesting, too. Like, you know, she keeps inserting herself into his life, even though he's got... You know, Project Mayhem and other stuff going on. He's a busy guy. He's got his job. Uh, he's working from home. Uh, you know, hey, prefigured that. Um, but like, then she calls him up. It was like, you know, my tits going to rot off. Um, you know, just to. <laughs> it's like, why don't you? Okay, go to a doctor. She's like, I don't have money to throw away in a doctor, which is also funny and sad. Um, and like, then,
1: honestly, correct. I mean,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, that yes, that's why it's funny and sad. Uh, so. So, yeah, like she asked him to come over under the pretense of I have I have breast cancer, you know, which, again, it's one of those issues that you want to leave up to, you know, a, a deft hand like Tommy Wiseau. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, so he invites her over basically to, like, feel her up. Yeah. You know, things, things have been, like, on the rocks with them, but it's like, hey, can you come over and, like, touch my boobs and yeah. maybe, you know, something else will happen
1: yeah it's like that that, that. And you see
0: the way the scene goes is finally where you know she's like oh, i can return the favor but then you know the narrator being the narrator is like okay i think we're done here which is yeah. like oh it's such like oh that's got to hurt like if you're putting yourself out there to try to like you know meet you know reach out to to another person someone who's important to you and they're like okay well it's been fun <laughs> it's been real I gotta yeah go.
1: and uh like that um you know like that f- that fucked up pathological way of like trying to reach out to someone else where like um you know you can't you can't just ask someone like hey like i'm feeling really lonely and shitty like do you want to come over just be like oh like yeah, cause shit, the other person's I'm gonna might- be
0: like i don't know, you seem really lonely and shitty
1: yeah and it's like you have to frame it as like oh i might be dying right yeah you know um which is like so funny and and apt. And then the way that because, you know, he's in his narrator persona, he just like doesn't like, you know, he's just not going to play along. He's like, okay, well, see see. Yeah, it's like,
0: are we done? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's, you know, he's still in his incel mode where, you know, even Tyler is like, well, you know, you fucked her. And he's like, I hadn't actually.
1: <laughs> he's like, are, are you in her? And he's like, oh, God, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like you so are, you just can't face it yeah but, I mean she is a Rex too, so
1: it's you it's tell me yeah, and it's really I mean there's like real poignancy there in this, <laughs> in this fucked up relationship in this movie yeah,
0: so th- yeah there's a lot the th- the movie gives a lot and people pick up on some of it and misinterpret plenty
1: well um let me read you a take from a moron
0: okay, you're great, I love those.
1: Uh, this is uh three tweets where um, hmm. you know I'm not gonna name this person. Um, they're kind of not. Don't,
0: don't give them the satisfaction.
1: This person is sort of notorious, um, online. Why but are we uh, quoting him, Whatever. I'll just read the dumb thing they said. Okay. Is it? Hmm.
0: It. It. I was gonna say like, oh, is is it is it Notch? Is it uh, what the guy from something awful or? <laughs> No. Is it the guy from what Awesome Homepage? Who the fuck was that guy?
1: Nope.
0: You're, nah, you're
1: honestly not even close, but... Um, <laughs> That's fine. I yeah. don't care. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, this is the first tweet. If the youth remember Fight Club as a movie where they blow up capitalism, and not the preceding two hours where capitalism is framed as a global plot to feminize men and make them act like beta cucks, I swear to God.
0: Oh, this is National Review. <laughs>
1: no 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 it gets better second tweet okay you could totally frame fight club as a symptom of a sort of proto-chapo pseudo-populist mindset among middle-class white men where capitalism equals not getting to exercise unchecked white male privilege and revolutionary equals being a misogynist caveman piece of shit this is the third tweet all right Suggesting the problem was never actually capitalism, but a totally fragile, anxious masculinity that only exists through domination, whether that's treating Helena Bonham Carter like shit for no earthly reason, or just blowing up a bank.
0: All right, well, clearly it touched a nerve about, is this Mr. Capitalism? Is this the guy who invented capitalism? Because he sounds really defensive about one particular economic uh, uh, system.
1: Well, no, this person is supposedly anti-capitalist like okay. i think the point that they're getting at is that um the movie isn't is that they like, don't
0: watch movies a lot
1: <laughs> well they i think the point that this person is trying to make is that in their mind the movie is not enough of a repudiation of what they would call toxic masculinity and white male privilege
0: all right well i'll just wait to see their movie then
1: and um You know, someone pushes back in the replies, um, and I think correctly says, uh, the suggestion is that capitalism is the source of the problem, atomization slash dissociation, but that being a reactionary isn't actually a solution. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that kind of, that fits with the movie that I watched today. I think that is the message. And their response is, yet the misogyny never actually gets challenged. If anything, the movie rewards it. After giving the narrator a 20-second talking to, Helena Bonham Carter becomes a doe-eyed damsel in distress for him to rescue. And it thus becomes a core MRA text. And I think that that really sums up kind of the um you know if there is any remaining cultural backlash to fight club that really sums it up where um people interpret it as just a reification of toxic masculinity like it's saying actually like being like tyler durden is cool and good and you know bitches are stupid and you know you should definitely get that jacket because it's awesome
0: I mean, I don't deny that it is an awesome jacket, but I think that there's more to it than that. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's why you need you know more media literacy. I mean, you know, or or just just need to get off Twitter, or maybe like do away with Twitter. What you know? Well, maybe, and maybe blow. I I probably wouldn't blow up a bank, but I might blow up you know Twitter's offices instead.
1: Well, and I'll probably um
0: or be like Facebook, just wait them for you know to offline themselves.
1: <laughs> that was very weird, but um. I'll probably cut this but like this person I I well I'm not I'm not going to go into detail about who this person is like on mm-hmm. Mike but It's Mike isn't it? It's Mike. <laughs> um like I won't like I'm not going to go into detail on Mike but like I think this is a person for whom like the they've really falls. this person has completely given into the kind of liberal feminist mindset where like because um, misogyny and patriarchy are like so pervasive in our society. You just see it in literally everything. It bedevils you. It complete it turns your anxiety up to eleven. It's like all you can think about. And like any It de- is
0: an e day fix.
1: Yeah, and like any yeah, a pathology. Any, any depiction of an interaction between men and women is just ends up being de facto misogynist. Like you can twist it in any way to say like this is a misogynist portrayal. Like even if the the scene right. or whatever that you're talking about is actually a commentary specifically about masculinity, it's kind of the way that people misinterpret Antichrist because it puts its characters through hell. Uh, therefore, it must it must hate women.
0: Right. Yeah. Or the idea that by presenting an idea, you obviously endorse it when it's like. We don't, like, you know, you can separate art from the artist. We've talked about that before. Like, just presenting something doesn't mean that you're that you're saying this is also, like, good and, and fine. Like, you can have, like, it is maddening to be, like, yes, you can have complex, you know, characters that aren't completely one thing or another. But I guess that just, you know, does people's heads in. Where it's just like, wait, I can, like, identify with this person? And they're also kind of a piece of shit? Like, what does that say about me? Like, well... Think about that. Like, work on yourself. I, I don't know.
1: Well, a lot of it, um, and a lot of bad media criticism comes from this kind of profound liberal insecurity where mm-hmm. you just don't, like, you don't feel good about yourself. Like, you think that every movie or TV show is strictly didactic, and it's telling you, like, this is how you should act,
0: Right, yeah, which, I mean, yeah, the, and, you know, if you're anxious about, you know, purity trials or shit like that, you know, being outed by, you know, wrong think or something, then, yeah, I understand how you would, you know, have this anxious interpretation of media, but, you know, maybe you're just, you know, a fragile child like the narrator of Fight Club. Yeah. You know, embrace that self-destruction and be like, yeah, maybe people are going to, like, you know, dislike you for your opinions, but it's like at least, you know come to some self-awareness about, you know, where these ideas came from.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that kind of picks up another theme in the movie, which is kind of the um, the masochism and sadism that men are, like, expected to just internalize. Yeah. Like, there is so much... There's so much self-harm in this movie.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing, like, uh, yeah, not just the you know, the the old you know, monkey being shot into space chemical burn thing. Yeah. I mean, there is, I don't know. Because, I mean, I know that you're saying that, like, there, you know, it's pathological. But, you know, Tyler is making a point there about, you know, you kind of have to be willing to risk, you know, <laughs> risk yourself for the sake of advancement. Because he's, you know, talking about... Well, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like because it comes yeah.
1: from, like, a boot, like, um... Uh, you know, if you delve into kind of and, you know, I'm talking about this in a really superficial way. Cause it's not like I've mm-hmm. done like a deep study of this kind of thing. It's just from yeah. myself, like trying to get like a better frame of mind for, for dealing with life where, you know, a lot of times like kind of a, um, you know, a Buddhist idea is like getting comfortable with discomfort where instead right. of really like, when you experience pain, like, you know, for example, if your friend has just applied chemicals to the back of your hand and it's burning and it's agony, like, you could freak out, like, trying to pull away from the pain, um, just anything to get it to stop, or you could accept it. Yeah, um, it's that like
0: hitting bottom.
1: Yeah, like, you accept you accept the pain and you achieve a kind of, like, equanimity where it's like, you know, in life there's going to be good and bad. like. So you can't just constantly run away from painful experiences. Um, yeah, and, and that is like the and the narrator lives in that society, which is like really anxious, conflict-avoidant, like just yeah, really like yeah, really and that's really pathological in that respect. Yeah, and
0: th- and that's what, you know, that's the impetus for a fight club. You know, it's, you know, we're talking saying, yeah, have you ever been in a fight? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, how much do you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? And it is one of those things where it's like, you know, when the chips are down, you know, when you're in trouble, what are you going to do? And you're like, well, you know, I'm smart by avoiding that this entire time. But if, you know, something is going to come your way that's going to be, you know, adverse, like, you know, if you're going to suffer a chemical burn or, you know, get beaten up, like, how do you bounce back from that? Like by by avoiding it your entire life and never, like, facing, you know, this difficult thing that is going to happen to you at some point, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, chance favors the prepared. It is, you know, um, it is, uh, you know, what is it, you know, sweat more in training, bleed less in battle, that sort of, you know, the sort of aphorism that it's like, if if you know what to expect when things turn south, you're better prepared for, you know, for for, you know, the bad times ahead
1: yeah and it also has a lot to do with um I think that you could say that the narrator is kind of living in this uh this
0: sort of a bubble,
1: well, yeah, he's living in this liberal world where there's like this horror of violence as like oh no, that's like not civilized but it's it's mm-hmm. gone to the point where like he will not even confront people, and this comes directly from the novel because um Chuck Polaniuk like was inspired to write the novel because like one weekend he had like somebody beat him up like at a campsite when he asked them not to play the radio so loud.
0: <laughs> Yeesh.
1: Um, And then he went back and when he went back to work, like the following week, like nobody said anything about his injuries. Like, you know, he yeah. was like kind of beat up, but like nobody fucking said anything. And he was like, wow, like the lengths that people will go to, to like, just like, not, Can not confront even another person, like just not rock the boat. And it's like, that's really true. And I think we see that in our like current societal derangement where like, uh, you know, people are popping off right and left in insane ways, I think because they've repressed themselves for so long, because people I buy it, yeah. in a lot of ways are like really afraid to say like, um, you know, they're afraid to confront a problem in the moment. You know, like if if someone yeah, we had like, a, we had
0: a whole section of people pop off in 2016 in the last four years.
1: Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, because if, um, you know, when you have conflict avoidant people and God knows I've lived this like the problem with being like conflict avoidant is like, it, you know, it doesn't make you a pacifist. It just makes you the kind of person who internalizes their rage until it explodes. Right. And that is all over social media these days <laughs> like people are flipping out on airplanes like you have like you know like karen's like screaming at black people just trying to have a fucking cookout in a park it's like yeah anti-maskers you know, it's like, maskers
0: just to like assert some autonomy over their own body even if it is you know ultimately harmful
1: yeah like in instead Anti-maxers, of whatever. instead of confronting like their their anxieties and fears it's like they just act out in this incredibly malignant way and i think that you know that's kind of where like tyler durden and project mayhem like start to go wrong is that it's like yeah no it's actually good to be to to be active to confront people like i think it's it's like you know edward Norton like like Fucking with his boss, where in the scene in the office where he beats himself up, like, you know, that's a fucked way to go about it, but it's like, you know, fuck that guy. Like, fuck that guy and fuck this job. <laughs> like, well, yeah,
0: it is, it is him finally taking a stand about fuck this job. Like, it's finally things coming to a head.
1: Yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's kind of like, um,
0: because, yeah, up until then, it's been really passive aggressive. Like, yeah, you know, leaving the notes about Fight Club, leaving like the haikus. He's basically, he's, he's being a shitty employee, which is why I never, like, Cop to the office because I'm like Jim. If you hate working here so much, why don't you just fucking quit? Why'd have to make everyone else's lives miserable? Just get another goddamn job. Well, it's because he's actually. Think you are.
1: It's because he's actually secretly working for the company.
0: Oh, the CIA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I mean that's why that's why like the office couldn't tell me anything new because it's like I already been in that situation. Just get a job that you don't hate. Like, where's the? I mean, yeah, maybe there's some good comedic performance in it, but I don't. You know, I don't buy the central conceit because you know I already saw it in Fight Club, where it's just like he f- he finally you know brings the situation to a head, where it's like he needs to either you know embody this job on his term. On his on his terms, or lose it. Well,
1: and it's very funny because the the thing that immediately popped into my mind on it's today's... great the way they
0: set it up too. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, the way it po- the thing that popped into my mind on today's rewatch was a book that I read a few years ago, which it, yeah, it's like a little bit um, a little bit pop psychology, but it's it's not a bad book for introducing you to this concept. It's a book about male depression called I Don't Want to Talk About It, and there are several anecdotes. I didn't know they
0: quoted me. That's great. In the title, no less.
1: <laughs> there are several anecdotes in this in this book, including one that the author relates about his own father, where men, when they're discontented, will act out in these passive aggressive ways at a job. Like they will be like a problem employee. But because that's easier than just quitting. And you know, there are a lot of reasons why, there are a lot of reasons why a guy won't just like quit a job, like he might have like family obligations, like he's a breadwinner, like it's a really shitty position to put someone in. But, you know, a lot like, a lot like the narrator in Fight Club, like they won't confront it. It's like, I'm just gonna act out in like, kind of shitty little passive aggressive ways rather than just like marching in the office and like, look, like Fuck this Take job. Take this job and shove it. Yeah, yeah, like, let me work from home. Like, I'll go away and you'll never see me again.
0: Right. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that, you know, means that they have to own their decision. But, I mm-hmm. mean, if you're a forthright person who, you know, takes decisive action, you wouldn't be in this job in the first place.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's like this, it's kind of the catch-22 of, like, living in like a capitalist society where it's like you're obliged to participate like people it, you know it's like the thing right. like that um that fucking cartoon which has become a cliche by now where it's like the guy saying like oh you criticize the society and yet you participate in it curious and it's like well yeah motherfucker like what else am I gonna do it's like I need yeah, to earn I a said, living I s- like yeah, I, I said I, that I am, 80 minutes ago um I'm reifying what you were saying great <laughs> um uh, but, but like I forget, did you evoke that cartoon that I'm thinking of, or it was something different, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I did exactly that.
1: The same cartoon.
0: Yeah, curious. Yeah.
1: Um, God, I forget the name of the guy who drew it, but it doesn't matter. Um,
0: Ben Garrison. I don't know.
1: Pff, <laughs> has he died of COVID yet? Not yet. Oh, funny. Yeah. He must be getting Regeneron or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, like doesn't not, matter, and uh, you know it's not um. Well, I hope you understand, Tim. It's not because, like, I just didn't listen to your point. It's like, I hope it's clear that I'm reinforcing your point. It's like... Okay. Y- you don't sound convinced.
0: No, I'm fine with it. Hey, you, he you said so. Go ahead.
1: Oh, okay. So, like... <laughs> um, Tim's just like, I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I... That's also true. Um, right. But, no, yeah, like, you were... I mean, you were correct to bring that up. Like, it's you know, that is the Catch-22 that we all live with.
0: Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have the option of, you know, uh, of leaving, you know, the system. And, you know, partly, like, with the, you know, drastic action, which is, you know, putting an empty gun to the back of, you know, Raymond K. Hassel's head, it is having to blow up your apartment. It's having to, like, utterly destroy his lifestyle because it isn't something you can do, you know, by measures. It, you know, it it has to be kind of an all-or-nothing thing to put yourself in... To basically, you know, make yourself unhoused, you know, divest yourself of all your possessions, Mm -hmm. of all your worldly goods. And, you know, to go live simply somewhere, you know, and like reset your life.
1: Well, and it's interesting, too, because like there's a there's a brief passage that I've forgotten about where um, Tyler Durden is kind of waxing poetic about, you know, reclaiming the land You know, like, deer grazing, like, amongst, like, the ruined buildings, or, like, however he puts it. And it's, like...
0: like a carpool lane.
1: Yeah, and it's, like... uh, Like, and I really, like, I want to say this without sounding like I'm being, um, like, hectoring, because it's, like, it's, like, yeah, that sounds, like, really sick. Like, you know, like, just, like, you know, like, like, fuck these, like, artificial landscapes. Like, you know, get back to the Mm -hmm. land. But, like... I was like when I heard it I was like oh my god like he predicted like online trads and like echo fascists like not that these people didn't exist like at the time it's just they become like more prominent on social media where it's like um like you have you'll have these guys on Twitter like larping is like is like trad wives and talking about like baking but also like they'll they'll post pictures of like very beautiful white women and like free people dresses and like a meadow and it's like you know that's not really what living off the land is like like it's a lot grubbier than that right and, yeah and, and-, and like there's also this like with those guys there's also this fantasy of like oh well you know i will I will get myself an obedient wife. She'll take care of most of the household labor. Like, it'll be like rolling off a log. It's like, eh, no, like, you know, traditionally, like, both men and women have worked and worked very hard, you know, both in and outside of the home. Like, it's it's like you're kind of conflating like the, the 50s nuclear family with, like, man is breadwinner with this, like, European utopia that I don't think ever really existed
0: Right, well, um, first off, uh, serfs work less than we do, so there's that. Uh, secondly, well, yeah, the, they, didn't um, sit
1: a, they didn't sit at a desk for eight hours a day. This is like when right. people, when leftists argue online about, like, oh, like, you know, there won't be work under communism. Yes, there will be, and it's like, okay, you guys really need to distinguish between, like, productive labor and the kind of bullshit that we do in, like, white-collar jobs.
0: Right, yeah, that... um yeah, to 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 further my, my point about, you know uh, you know, piggybacking onto what you're saying, is that um the the unfortunate cultural uh fallout from Fight Club is like why is it that it's always the worst people who internalize the lessons from this movie? Like you're saying about like, you know, it's always like you know, it's it's incels and migtails and, you know, trad whatever people and it's like it seems like there are a lot of um you know progressive ideas in the movie about you know you know living deliberately and you know doing things that you think you know matter with your life but i don't know like the people who uh you know like we don't see project mayhem for like erasing the debt record or for like you know leveling the the playing field of you know different like you know, social classes. We see, you know, Project Mayhem, you know, you know, invading the Capitol on January 6th. We, You know, we see, you know, like Proud Boys, you know, fighting Antifa in, you know, Portland. We see, you know, like, uh, you know, like white nationalists, you know, flying, you know, flags and, you know, convoys and running political candidates off the road. Like, you don't see people, like, championing for a better world. You see, I don't know, just like this weird sort of, you know, reactionary, you know, hostility. And, and I I think that the the point that Tyler's making is that, you know, it isn't, I mean, you know, maybe he has this, you know, fantasy of, you know, returning to a hunter-gatherer society, which is good for him. But I think the point that he's making overall is like, you know, I, I wish to live deliberately. I want, you know, I want the things I do to, to mean something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to have a bullshit job that is just like abstracted to the point where it's like, I work for a company who has a thing that needs a thing and that thing needs someone to support this to check that, you know, we're covered in this one rare case and we need to assign a person to do that. No person gets out of bed in the morning and thinks, I want to do that with my mm-hmm. life. But there's a position that must be filled. And, you know, that's the the conflict that the narrator has. It's like, I have a job and all my needs are met. Why is my life so empty? Yeah.
1: And it's funny because, like, the th- you know, something which people said a lot about, you know for example the soviet union is like oh they used to make all these like bullshit like busy work jobs just so everyone would be employed and it's like well i mean
0: (laughs) uh, i wonder what that's like. yeah
1: and and you know now it's like oh yeah like you would have to live in like some kind of like collective situation it's like people are literally renting out their living spaces to make ends meet
0: right like that was kind of funny um you know speaking of communism you know, Tyler Durden does literally start a commune. Yeah. If if you're if you're one of those people who like just wants to get away from the rat race, like, you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, paper soap company is doing good business. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's the what John Locke or whatever of the situation. And um, you know, the people who live there, like, you know, the, the, the men there have, you know, a bunk, you know, they're fed, they have, you know, meaningful work, they take care of each other you know they grow their own food and you know they keep the place tidy and they also you know go you know uh you know, demolish uh you know corporate buildings in their free time they're living a, a pretty uh you know uh a solid lifestyle it's it's ticking all the boxes for you know a a deliberate um you know life of meaning
1: yeah and you know it like it on first blush like it seems very idyllic but Like, ultimately, it ends up being kind of hollow because, like, there's no, like, real emotional core in connection there. Like, there's no, like, actual nurturing. Like, instead, there's this undercurrent of violence where it's all based around men, like, beating the shit out of each other in a basement.
0: I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I think that the... yeah, I mean, yeah, it's... I don't have an answer for you know what the the fighting part is, although that is a a way of being confrontational and of um, anesthetizing yourself to confrontation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you take you know the example of you know Tyler fighting Lou from yeah. Lou's Tavern, Lou representing capital again in this situation. I'm
1: fucking Lou. Who the fuck are you?
0: Yeah. And that and moment he's like, is oh, like,
1: it's... oh shit, Dad's home.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny too because you know he's like, oh, you think you know, you know, think what you have here is like remarkable. And Tyler's like, I do as a as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. and it's true because it is a collective that is not based around ownership of anything, right? It is, yeah. And I mean, even that's something that you know Tyler says about you know Fight Club and about Project Mayhem is that it doesn't belong to them anymore. Like it's the the people who you know sustain it. It belongs to them. It is. You know, it, it's this collectivist um, you know, support group that he's created and that Lou doesn't understand, you know, he's like, you know, the, um, what well, the guy who's at home with a broken collarbone, like he's, you know, he thinks he's getting a kickback from it, but it's not, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, what we create, you know, in this uh, subculture, like that's the valuable thing. And, and then, you know, Tyler already, you know, anesthetized to conflict gets, you know, takes a pounding from Lou while he's, you know, working it out on, like, how can I best Lou in the way that's, like, worse to him. Yeah. And, you know, he comes in very, you know, clean and proper and well-dressed, and it's like, I'm going to get this guy filthy, and, like, he's not going to be able to take that. It's like, yeah, you know, you don't know where I've been.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, like, um, you know, like, there's... You know, I've mentioned, like, the masochistic behavior on the part of both Tyler and the narrator in this movie, but it's when that violence starts to turn outward, mm-hmm. That it becomes, like, really terrifying. And the thing I'm specifically thinking of is, uh, the beating of Angel Face. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, like, it's funny, like, watching Jared Leto get beat to a pulp hits really different 20 years later. Because uh. you're more like, eh, he had it coming. But, um... <laughs> Oof. But the way it, the way it's depicted in the movie is this: this is a a young, beautiful, innocent right. man who just gets his face absolutely pulped. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the narrator says, I felt like destroying something beautiful. Um, right, you know, which that you know, it's kind of a, and that's kind of another example in which, like, their you know, their commune kind of starts to to turn towards the the negative and. But it's interesting. Like I don't know, I
0: think that is. Um. That's just the narrator resenting that Tyler's no longer his best friend, destroying something beautiful is their friendship.
1: Well, the way that I interpreted that was, um, I, and I had a note about it because, you know, if you keep in mind that, you know, this is the same. This is the same man. This isn't. This isn't a. Tri- mm-hmm. This isn't an actual triad. This yeah. is a man, starting. A relationship with another man and then brutally ending it like when the narrator sees Tyler like seemingly being close and affectionate with Angel Face it's his mm-hmm. reaction is then to snap that off short
0: yeah yeah so it yeah it, it's uh yeah I don't have it quite worked out but it is a, a weird moment it Is you know kind of a low point for the character well
1: and I think it's because like, again, there's like no, it, you know, in spite of like the kind of the community that these men have built, like there's mm-hmm. still like an emotional hollowness to it where it's like. Well, wait,
0: I think that um because we talked a lot about like sort of the like there is, you know, sort of. A benevolent sort of creative destruction and you know doing away with old things and you know creating new you know new systems that work better rather than just relying on sort of this, you know, ossified just like this is the way things are. Yeah. Um but but if you wanted to say, you know, that the idea curdles, it would be the scene with Angel's face because it isn't um it isn't the narrator or even Tyler saying you know, I want to tear down the system into something that is more fair for everyone. It is him just being like, just you know, just level it all. You know, saying I want to breathe smoke. You know, I want mm-hmm. to, you know, open up the dump valves on oil tankers to, you know, destroy all those, you know, lovely French beaches I'll never get to see. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, you know, you know, uh, what was it, you know, pull it in, put a bullet in the head of every panda that wouldn't screw to save its species. It is just like, it's him just, you know, giving over to like, I just fuck it, just destroy it all. I don't care. It isn't even that like redemptive part of it. It is just saying, just, just, just destroy it all. No, yeah. I like, want to destroy something think, beautiful. Yeah. I
1: think you're absolutely correct because like, and that's where I saw where the movie was really pointing towards this like downturn into fascism where it's not even, it becomes, it's not about. Like you said, like you said just now, like not even building something new from the ashes. It's like, no, just fuck it. And it's just completely negative and destructive. And, you know, that is potentially that a direction a man can go in, like without, Mm -hmm. you know, a kind of emotional support network around him, without like a, you know, like these... These men, who you know, Tyler says, like we're a generation raised by women, like you know, no, mm-hmm. they're they're from broken homes and they're they're lacking emotional connection. They're traumatized, and you know, ultimately, they're acting out in like really nihilistically violent ways.
0: Right. Yeah. In a world that really doesn't like owe them anything and hasn't provided them anything, right. like none of this has served as you know done me any kind of service what is the utility of any of it may as well burn it all down yeah
1: and it's like people like to uh, that's one thing that you'll see people talking about is kind of like the homoeroticism of fight club which you know i don't i you know i think that certainly applies but it goes like way beyond just like kind of being homosocial and like tyler durden's Mm -hmm. six-pack it's yeah it really it really isn't About these homoerotic relationships, it's about how just, like, really poisonous that manhood can become in this sort of environment. And that's something which, um, like...
0: (sighs) Well, the narrator isn't equipped to deal with, like, you know, losing his best friend because his best friend doesn't need him anymore. Well,
1: and, you know, how many men do you know who have real friendships these days? Like, the way that women have real friendships and I'm speaking in like well,
0: women can't have real friends you
1: know <laughs> I'm speaking in huge generalities here but I think this is something which we really unfairly put onto boys and young men is like we don't teach them a way to be supportive nurturing caring yeah, it... to have like genuine like emotional connections with like other people
0: Right. And that is kind of the merit of, you know, the of fight club within fight mm-hmm. club is that it is men connecting with other men. I mean, yeah, it is. It has to because of, you know, societal norms, it has to exist in a masculine way. Yes. You know, it isn't like a book club where we're pretending to read the book just so we can get together and drink wine yeah. and be catty. Um, but it is, you know, it is. It has to exist within, you know, this frame, this masculine framework. Yeah. As a way for, you know, for men to come together. And that's kind of why in the beginning, you know, when there are all these support groups that, you know, the narrator is going to just as a tourist, like none of it means anything to him because it doesn't speak to him in a way that, you know, addresses the needs that he, you know, that he, that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of that, you know, generation of men raised by women. Like he doesn't relate to what these support groups are trying to provide for him. He does take something out of it, and reshapes it into something that does work for him which is what what fight club is which is you know trying to like you know cope or you know deal with you know your own mortality but rather sort of embracing it and just being like yeah shit's gonna go sideways yeah you know just be ready for it rather than trying to withdraw from it and i think that maybe it that proactive nature to it is what appealed to the protagonist in the story rather than that reactive nature
1: yeah and because like i mean and i'm
0: being like you know take it out as it comes versus seek it out and you know conquer it yeah and there's your yeah which is like a really
1: masculine framing it isn't like um no like it, it that's a really apt way of putting it because that is usually the way like things get framed for men a lot of the time is like no bro you just gotta crush it you gotta fucking kill it dude and it's like that's a really one dimensional way to approach life. And the fact that it just gets, it just gets like put onto one gender and it's like, no, know, this is just how you act. And like, if you act any other way, it's fucking gay, dude. Like you might as well be crying on some guy's bitch tits at a support group.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you can see how the character, you know, transitions from one thing to another to be like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this way speaks to me rather than this other way. That seems kind of, you know, empty and, you know, puss ass yeah
1: and then like the kind of cathartic joy that's on the faces of a lot of the um you know the extras like you know after they've like beaten each other up and they're like embracing in the moment and they're so fucking happy because like they're connecting to another person like and yeah it's in kind of this like like Sort of fucked up way violent but it's pathological
0: like, way. Yeah, yeah
1: like like to Have something It you know they've built A community and you know like that's The that's the joy of these communities A lot of the time is like Being able to like see each other In public and just give like the slightest nod Because it's like you know about something special That you have with these people But not everyone is yeah. privy to
0: yeah. yeah Yeah it's connecting to other human beings You know via your fist but still
1: Yeah like, it's really, it's really potent. And I felt a lot of really powerful emotions watching this movie because of that, you know, just to see, um, and I'm very interested in, like, all these depictions of masculinity because, like, I'm, and in particular, like, the world of Fight Club is, like, that. Mm-hmm. that is completely, that is a That is a room which is completely close to me. Like, they wouldn't let me in the fight club. (laughs) Like, they wouldn't let me be part of Project Mayhem. You know, this is, like, a masculine world. And I find that really fascinating, like, how men, like, kind of adapt and find these, like, ways of relating to each other. Which is, like, well, you know, like, that was cool, but, like, it's not gay or anything, bro. It's, like, just, you know, we got this thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it's poignant. Like, I feel like this, like so many people are like, oh, this movie is like so misogynistic, but I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm like, God, like it it fucking sucks to have to live this, these brands of masculinity. Like, you know, not only like the hollow life that the narrator is living at the beginning of the movie, but then, uh, you know, like you shuck that, but then you're thrust into this violently masochistic world Where, you know, it's, like, man up and, like, you know, beat the shit out of a guy. Like, if you're new here, like, you have to fight. It's really unforgiving.
0: Yeah, it is, and it is a trial by fire, but it is sort of like, you know, like they say, you know, a guy, you you know, comes in, you know, all doughy. And, you know, after a month, it's like he's carved out of wood. And it's like that's, you know, that's aspirational in a way where it's like, yeah, you suddenly become, like, you know, a, a hard man, you know, you're like a, a, a person of action. You're you even like living at, you know, the paper street house where everything's all like, you know, sagging and broken. It's like, yeah, you, you're you going to have to like take charge for creating the world that you live in. You know, you aren't just like, you know, this sort of like doughy passive person. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, if trouble starts, I can handle it. It's a lot. And like, I think that that's empowering.
1: It's a lot like the firm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The <laughs> <laughs> good one. Because like that was a really right, right. that was a really excellent depiction of another, like, closed masculine circle. Yeah. Where and you know, much like in Fight Club, you know, like the real connective tissue is violence.
0: Right. Yeah. And the other thing too that I think is interesting in that, you know, like empowering notion of violence in Fight Club is um you know how he how he sets yeah, how he gives you know the the members of Fight Club a homework assignment, which is get in a fight and lose, mm-hmm. and that is a great way of of empowering other people. <laughs> which is saying, you know, I I'm going yeah you know, I'm going to create an adverse situation that you are then able to overcome. It isn't like don't start a fight with another person and then just beat them mm-hmm. up because, like in the world of Fight Club, people are already beaten up enough as it is. Mm-hmm. Like give them give them a little bit of autonomy. Give them like a you know give them a a, a a a pat on the shoulder, a slap on the back. Give them a way to feel like they are in control of their lives. Let them, if conf- confronted by a person who is like bigger and badder and meaner than you are, and to hold your own against them, like just you know just think of like how you know empowering you would feel if you were in you know this confrontation and you emerged the victor. That is that is gotta be so, you know, heartening and fulfilling to these people to be like, I faced a challenge and I overcame it.
1: Yeah, and when going off of something that you mentioned earlier, um, mm-hmm. the fact that Fight Club predicted a lot of things, but um, you know, we didn't quite pick up on it. Like I don't I don't know how we could have predicted like where it would end up, but Like you know, if Fight Club like prefigured like all these um, kind of masculine soap cultures, like Inseldom, like men going their own way, like GamerGate,
0: uh, Meal Team Six,
1: yeah, it's really
0: yeah, like those guys are wannabe hard guys, but it's like you go to the IHOP and you play and you cosplay with paintball on the weekends. Well,
1: the point I was going to make about those is that um, you know it's not that like oh you know Fight Club is like you know, pure. And these guys are like just cosplayers. The mm-hmm. point I want to make about those groups is that you, um, people are horrified them by them. Um, you know, because occasionally like, uh, you know, like a school, like a, a an active shooter will come out of like inceldom or whatever. So, you know, it Mm -hmm. can be very bad, but people are really afraid to engage with what makes these subgroups like so seductive. And it's because they give kind of rudderless young men a sense of purpose. Like, you know, if you're trying to be trad or if you're trying to save gaming uh, from the SJWs, Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, now I have a cause and it's a righteous one.
0: Right. And I think a lot of that, you know, ties back into the capitalist nature of, you know, like the white collar job that the narrator has, which is, you know, he has a job that is bereft of meaning, like he doesn't have anything to like fight court, fight club, uh, to to fight for. (laughs) And it is this thing, the thing, you know, about the middle children of history speech, which is, again, I want to maintain, because it's a fucking speech, a damn will ought to be the most important part of the movie. And it is. And he's talking about, you know, we have, like, no great struggle. Like, you know, they don't have, like, a world war that is a just cause to fight in. You know, they don't have, like, you know, some... They don't have, you know, some some social ills that they can collectively address. It's, you know, people just kind of not really sure what to do with themselves. You know, everything kind of works, but it isn't great. You know, there's, there's no, there's, you know, no one has like any um, options of like moving up, you know, the ladder. And that is definitely something that we see, you know, not just with like, you know, boomers or, you know, our octogenarian government, Mm -hmm. you know, like my my senators, what, like 90 something? It's ridiculous. uh, uh, Yeah. Like this fucking senile person is, you know, half the decisions for my state and like that that young people at the time didn't have a sense of like okay this is my path like this is where my life can go you know I got my college degree I can get a good job you know I can you know buy a house for you know $20,000 and you know, start a family and then you know move up the ladder it's mm-hmm. them going I'm going to be 22 forever and like what kind of life is that like that's you know where someone's going to have to seek out some kind of meaning like if if you play video games and you're you know you are like in the movie you know a 30 year old boy which holy shit I wish I was a thirty year old boy again. <laughs> um but like yeah, if gaming is important to you, suddenly games are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, if airsoft is in, you know, your hobby suddenly that's really important. You know, if Lego or just something, you know, if you you fancy yourself wanting to be like, you know, a SEAL team six guy, but you, you know, failed the uh, you know, physical for joining the army or something, then you you find some way to like try and in- imbue some meaning into your otherwise meaningless existence like there's nothing important for such a vast majority of men to do yeah that they you know that they have to seek out these things and you know yeah, well, <laughs> they, yeah thank you for listening to my ted talk <laughs> this is this is why you have school shooters
1: But well um like the i've actually seen that argument from chuds like on social media who like to talk big about like you know if we just had another world war
0: Right, yeah. Well, I remember a friend of mine's grandmother is like, yeah, what we need is another world war. It's just like, maybe if... Like, it was something like maybe if you didn't lose two sons in the last one, you wouldn't feel that way, but, you know, whatever. And
1: it's so fucked, too, because it's like... Um, and you especially see this well, yeah, framing it, with, like, World War Two, you know, like, the good war, where it's like, oh, you know, like, everybody right. had, like, a common cause, like, it was, like, it really... Well, yeah, people
0: stepped yeah, up. Yeah, like, it
1: really brought us all together. Like... You have to completely ignore, like, how destructive, traumatic, and destabilizing war is to believe that. Like, you just have to completely, like... Right. you You have to completely ignore, like, all the you know young men coming back like completely traumatized like unable to relate to their families again like having ptsd like
0: right well that's that speaks to the paucity of american discourse it need not be a war we had like the the fucking like the new deal to bring us out of the great depression in like 1930 that was just a government make work program it's like here build a shitty house you know empty you know empty this ditch like you know pour this concrete make some crummy art i don't care we're making a public space just to get you people to have enough money to live on and that was that was the challenge in you know 2020 that we again failed mm-hmm. because we're such a like you know retarded useless you know uh just oligarchy you know corrupt government yeah. but anyway uh, well, because, like, you'll have to listen to my other podcast for more uh, views like that but but yeah like it is it could be you know public space exploration it could be you know giving more funding to nasa you know more money to nasa means people with stem careers you know can actually or stem degrees can get a
1: career out of it you know what i i would like to see gives people something to do well because like the the way that things have ended up like our like people aren't connected to like their local communities anymore like that you know like cities are like totally hollowed out like can you imagine if we if right. we had like you know like you were talking like a new deal where we made cities walkable or where we built like a national rail system like
0: yeah it was the same thing as in the the 2008 housing crisis like the banks got bailed out it's like why don't you just give the money to the people who have the houses yeah and just allow them some dignity in it yeah
1: but you know unfortunately like the way that the us has turned out is like it's a system which moves money upward to the richest people, and they just keep accumulating and, like, the rest of us get squeezed dry.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, But, yeah, like, 2020, when there's, you know, massive unemployment, you know, the government could have just been, like, here's $1,200, stay home for six months. I don't know how you're able to live on $20 a month, but (laughs) whatever. Uh, (laughs) Or one, two, three, doesn't matter. Uh, But, but yeah, the, um, yeah, like, they could have spent that money either, you know, just to have people stay home or be, like, you know, here's your new, new deal. Here's your Green New Deal, you know, where we're gonna reinvest in infrastructure, we're gonna put people to work, unemployment will be down, you know, government spending will be up, but you know, it's taxes going to something other than, you know, a twenty year war in Afghanistan for no reason. Well,
1: Tim, that would be big government which leads inevitably to totalitarianism. Now Citizen we want you to be aware Of the drones and the <laughs> robot dogs That are going to be on every street in this nation And they're going to know every detail Of your life
0: Yeah don't forget to take one of those uh, Amazon spy planes into your house
1: <laughs> Yeah so I mean drones. and Folks that's why Fight Club just hits Different 20 years later
0: <laughs> It's still relevant it, it prefigures so many things I mean not just like You know collective action and you know Essential workers but You know, uh, Marla, you know, intrudes in the narrator's safe space. Yeah. Like, before we had a fucking word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) it's, yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy who identifies as, you know, two different um, uh, personas, and, you know, they're they're radically different. You know, we haven't even talked about, like, any of the technical stuff to do with it. You know, it is is Fincher, like, you know, he's got his bag of tricks, and he is just firing on all all cylinders with it.
1: Yeah, this was um you know, I watched Gone Girl recently, which was you know, solid and um, I actually felt could be read as a really a really pungent critique of true crime media.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Um cuz yeah, everyone it's it's all like rubbernecking.
1: Yeah. And and also like one like Rosamund Pike plays one of the great film villains. Like, what an amazing character. Like, just like the absolute... What a cunt. Well, yeah, like just the the absolute nightmare of like like a woman's revenge. It's like, it's a fantastic character. Um, But, you know, Gone Girl just isn't the... It isn't the, the the thrill ride that Fight Club is. It doesn't have the same, like, emotional punch that Fight Club did for yeah, me. Yeah, or,
0: or even, like, social commentary. I mean, that's that's the thing. Is like, you know, I still, you know, have great respect for David Fincher. You know, come at me, film bros, whatever. Um, but I he just is, like, you know, punching, you know, under his weight with, like, his later stuff. Like, I mean, yes... You know, a lot of war- awards are won are for, like, you know, the social network and what, like, you know, Gone Girl, like you say, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But it's just, it, it's like, I don't know, it's like he had a, a stopover and, you know, mm. he's like, like picked a true crime novel up from, you know, like the newsstand, he read it on the plane, and it's like, yeah, I'll make a movie of this, sure. But it, it just, yeah, like you say, it doesn't have the punch of Fight Club. I mean, Fight Club, you know, constantly is, is like, breaking the fourth wall like is it saying like this involves you like you know gone girl is an amusing trifle Mm -hmm. but fight club is saying is you know it's grabbing you by the the lapels and being like you know this this affects your life too this is about you
1: yeah i agree
0: so, go watch Fight Club. If you haven't already, sorry we spoiled the ending. Been a real Rosie O'Donnell about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the spoiler warning is right up front, people. And if you have, <laughs> you know, if you hit the 15 second skip button and missed it, that's your fucking problem. Um,
0: right. I, I always skip 30 seconds ahead in this because I don't need to hear the first half a minute.
1: Well, you listen to podcasts podcast at like six times speed, so.
0: Yeah, I got shit to do.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that the narrator would That's have said true. that at the beginning of Fight Club. Hey I got shit to do. <laughs> um Uh Tim, do you know what a duvet is?
0: <laughs> I do because of Fight Club.
1: <laughs> um this movie is free. Oh my god,
0: there's two on my couch. <laughs> Oh god! This
1: movie is free on Tubi right now. Tubi, the king of streaming services. Um, go right. watch it.
0: Yes, it's the better Netflix. It's uh, free. And with, the great thing too, it's
1: free with ads, and sometimes the ads break and they don't actually play, and you just get a little pause before you get right back to the movie. It's pretty sick.
0: Yeah, no, it is free with ads, which is great when you're watching a, like, anti-capitalist movie uh, where they're talking about just, like, the sort of plastic fakiness mm-hmm. of modern life. And then it is interrupted by literally an Applebee's ad. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's this artifice, like, created outside of you representing nothing that, you know, is this simulacrum of, you know, a, a an enriching dining experience. It's like, no, it's a fucking, you know, it's a restaurant chain. It's like you you turn into the narrator watching this stuff. You're just like this it's all fucking bullshit, man.
1: Yeah, so uh go watch it on Tubi.
0: Yeah, I mean if you can't find a theater to watch it in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. now that uh Disney owns Fox, like they're um they're definitely making it not worth exhibitors' time to show a lot of these repertory films, so that's a whole other thing. Right. But um
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Content is disposable. Yeah. We'll remake Fight Club and we'll have it be more lighthearted, I don't know.
1: Slide.
0: Or what if it what about Fight Club, but like it's with like an all female No,
1: oh, shut the fuck up. I'm turning off the recorder. Why would <laughs>